legends welcome back to scheme me up body and this episode we're going to continue on with the the movie franchise of star trek and this one is star trek 5 the final frontier which was released in 1989 now a lot of people say this is probably the weakest of their star trek movies they star the original cast and in all fairness that's probably quite true but i do have a real soft spot for this movie because of the uh the relationships between kirk mccoy and spock in this movie uh of course it starts off there out camping together on shore leave and i just like that whole uh feel of that whole camping environment scene at the beginning of the movie really did enjoy it there's a couple of fantastic fantastic comic moments between mccoy and spock where they're trying to sing row 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 your boat and spock just doesn't get the concept of the song and in frustration mccoy says god i liked him better before he died love that line and the movie just the way he delivered it absolutely fantastic um i'm a bit weirded out about doing this podcast episode because uh it stands out in the movie like it's it's it doesn't shy away from the fact of the inspiration for this film and uh the reason i'm a little bit weirded out by it is because i have actually had a real life experience in my past of this type of thing but basically it is it was inspired by the phenomenon of televangelism and the high potential for fraud among its practitioners that's as far as i'm going to go with that that is um when as, as soon as i read that line and the research for this podcast i just thought right there's there's a group from my past like i fell victim to uh, a similar sort of setup to those televangelisms uh, a lot of years ago uh, thankfully I got the hell out of it about five and a half years ago but there's still that part of me that's like you know if I'm going to review Star Trek 5 and a podcast and do it you know honestly I, I do have to bounce off this and of course this group is not really televangelism but it's that kind of environment it's it's similar to that there the, the, obviously this movie has got nothing to do with that but my past with them and me bouncing off this in this podcast i'm just waiting for someone from that group to you know, get hold of me online and go to town on me once more thankfully well gone out of that by now but uh that's an our story for another time but uh it is part of my past it's made me who i am today and i'm happy enough right now this was directed by captain james t kirk himself william shatner he came up with the idea and the inspiration for it and uh it's basically the story of this character cybok he's uh a renegade vulcan essentially and he's searching for god but instead finds the devil you know that's pretty much the the easiest layout for the movie that starts off in a desert planet numbers three the planet of galactic peace and there's this guy he's out and like he's trying to drill for what i can only imagine to be water in the desert having no luck with it at all and this character rolls up out of the like a like sandstorm in the background and he gets off his horse and comes over to this guy and he's like you know every man hides a hidden pain share your pain with me and gain strength from the sharing and while he's saying this to the guy he drops the guy drops to his knees and starts crying and you know what's his this power that cyborg has isn't really explained as in something he naturally has or something that has been kind of gifted to him by the entity we meet at the end of the movie but he's been going around previous to this guy 
backstory sort of territory where he's he's gathering up followers on this cult and uh, they're planning on storming the a city on Nimbus Free which just happens to have uh, a Romulan, a Klingon and a human ambassador that are there as part of the intergalactic planet of peace in the neutral zone Nimbus Free and they're just you know we have had enough of this. this this planet was supposed to be the the new frontier and uh it's just a burnt, burned out rock in the middle of a space none of them are happy to be there um Cybok and his gang his cult whatever you want to call it attack and uh take these guys prisoners and the whole point of this is Cybok wants a starship brought the numbers free to complete his quest his mission and of course this is where captain kirk and the enterprise crew come into play they are dispatched to go and negotiate the release of these prisoners or you know get them you know, go on and get them out of there without you know, really causing any bloodshed. Um, they get to the planet, and uh, Kirk and Spock, and on a way party, head to the surface, and they leave Chekhov in command of the Enterprise, and uh, he is he's pretending to be captain, talking to Cybok, distracting him while Kirk and Spock and the rest of the the gang try to get these prisoners out everything basically blows up in their face and uh, Cybox called ones out in the end and Kirk and Spock and McCoy are pretty much taken prisoners on board Enterprise they don't fall for his powers straight away but Ahura and uh, Sulu uh, and they return to the Enterprise they fall under his power very quickly. Uh, there's a Klingon warship turns up in this as well. And uh, this Klingon is out for blood. He's one of these. Of course the Klingons are a warrior race. And this guy is convinced that if he can defeat Captain Kirk and command of the Enterprise. He's going to be the, you know, the, the strongest, mightiest Klingon in the galaxy. And... He it does attack Enterprise, but this is when Cybok has taken them prisoners and they're trying to return to the Enterprise. And of course the Klingons are coming in for an attack. And uh, the problem they have is docking with Enterprise at this point in the movie because she has her shields up. Because there's an attack coming. And uh, Cybok refuses to let the crew turn the shuttlecraft around and head back to Numbus Free. He's like, I have got a, a mission from God. We need to complete this. There's no turning back. So Kirk gets him to, you know, let me do something. And he comes up with the, the bright idea of docking with the Enterprise without using the tractor beam system, which will save time because Enterprise has to drop her shields. They have to dock and she re-raises her shields again and that length of time she's vulnerable to the attack from the Klingons. Um, that's a great little sequence. The effects in this movie aren't as good as previous installments in the franchise and that's simply down to a budget issue at that point when this was made. Um, of course they get docked with Enterprise. Uh, Kirk McCoy and Spock are put in the brig and Sulu under the power of Cybok at this stage they head off to the bridge they're going to take the, the Enterprise to what is called the Great Barrier at the centre of the universe where a planet called Shakari exists and in Cybok's preachings really it's basically where creation sprang from it's where god loves it's god's planet sort of a deal and of course there's all these different 
races on board Enterprise, and of course you've got the humans there, they they see Shakari as Eden, of course the Vulcans see Shakari as we're there, God came from, and the Klingons, and you know, whatever race is on there, they've all got a, a story about this mythical planet at the centre of the universe, but there's great barriers here, and as far as anyone knows, it cannot be penetrated. Uh, every time a probe was sent under it, it never came back. Uh, you know, it's a, a suicide run, essentially, as far as Kirk and the crew are concerned, that aren't affected by Cybok. But Cybok puts the, the Enterprise on a course with this, and Kirk and Spock and McCoy uh, manage to escape the brig. Um, with the help of Scotty, of course. Uh, there's a lot of good comedy moments of Scotty in this movie too. I absolutely... This uh, this movie for me... Growing up, when I, this movie came out... 89, I think I was like 10 years old when this movie came out. And this is this is the one where I really did... Uh, it sounds weird for me to say this, but this is the movie where I really did fall in love with the, the character of Scotty. He is absolutely fantastic. And this movie, he's always had good comic moments throughout the Star Trek movies, but I enjoyed him a lot in this one. Uh, of course we all find out that Cybok is indeed the half-brother to Spock, and there's a brilliant little scene in the brig when he finally tells Kirk and McCoy, uh, because he had a chance to gun him down when they get back to the Enterprise, he didn't do it, and he's like, you know, Kirk ordered him, and uh, he's all pissy that you know, Spock has just damned the Enterprise, essentially, for not following orders. And Spock is like, you know, you ordered me to kill my brother. And Spock, or Kirk is like, well, I know he's a, a brother Vulcan, but come on, Spock. And Spock's no, you don't understand. He's actually another son of Sarek. And uh, Kirk is like, you made that up. Because I happen to know you don't have a brother. And Spock is like, yeah, you're right, I've got a half-brother. And Kirk is like, I have to sit down. And he presses his button on the wall. And, interestingly enough, my head is full of absolutely useless information. But they're in the break. Kirk has this little button. This little seat comes out. But if you look at it closely, it's actually a toilet. And this is the only time in Star Trek up to this point where you actually see a toilet on any part of the show. Uh... No one's saying that out loud. We have it in crew quarters before in the next generation and whatnot, but I don't actually think you've ever physically seen a toilet on screen. So Star Trek V, to the best of my knowledge at the recording of this podcast, is the only toilet in Star Trek history. Now, if I'm wrong, please correct me in the comments of this podcast, and I will happily admit to my ignorance in this uh this situation. Though in saying that there, Star Trek Lower Decks is out and I'm pretty sure if there's a Star Trek show it's going to have a toilet on it at Star Trek Lower Decks. But I haven't actually got around to watching that show yet. But we will get there. This is Scheme Up Body. We're going to be talking a mess load of Star Trek on this podcast. So it's only a matter of time before I get sat down to check it out. I'm just checking the time on the podcast here because I've got a lot of other stuff to get done tonight so it's going to be a short one I'm pretty sure um, after they escape they, uh, there's a scene where they have to climb up a turbo shaft to get to the bridge of the Enterprise essentially and for years I watched this movie and it never actually dawned on me that uh, the Enterprise it's a fairly big ship, but uh, in this turbo lift shaft, McCoy and Kirk start climbing up this ladder, and uh, Spock disappears to get his rocket boots, which he, he had at the beginning of the movie throughout the, the camping scene at the start of the movie, which, again, absolutely love that opening scene of them camping and Kirk trying to climb a mountain and falling off it. And, Spock flying about like Buzz Lightyear. So in the turbo lift shaft, 
Spock finally reappears with these rocket boots on him and uh, he gets McCoy and Kirk to climb on board these boots so like they're hanging off his shoulders and at this point Sulu and a load of the, the crew and Cybox Colt are trying to trace them down and uh, they're too heavy for the boots to carry them they're, they're, they're flying but they're they're going down where they should be going up now forgive me these numbers are probably going to be pretty well off uh, I'm thinking that's 151 that's definitely above 140 but they're at the bottom of the left they're at uh, deck 1 and uh, Spock hits the, the rocket pack or the rocket boots and they shoot up this elevator shaft and you see the numbers flying past and it goes way up under, at least under the hundreds now two things here Enterprise isn't that big a ship uh, I'm not 100% sure how many decks she has but I would be shocked if it was more than 50 decks now please correct me in the comments below this video um, let me just look that up while we're talking about it how many decks has an enterprise a got okay all right the Enterprise A apparently had 78 decks, just according to a quick little Google search. But again, they're at the bottom of this left shaft. The rocket boots go off, they shoot up this shaft, the numbers are flying past, they get way up into the hundreds. And she definitely does not have over 100 decks. Now, 78 they're saying here, apparently. No one's saying that. If you just look at the design, of the Starship Enterprise, she would not have a turbo lift that would be a single turbo lift shaft that would go the full 78 decks or however many decks is on her. You know, you've got the saucer section, which at the very most could be 14, 15 decks. Then you have the, the neck of the Enterprise heading down into the the engineering section. Like it's, it's a long ship. She's not all the one size from front to back so those 78 decks are going to be spread across the entire length of the Enterprise so that is the problem with that scene the other problem is uh, deck 1 is not at the bottom of the ship deck 1 is actually at the very top of the ship so the numbers are the wrong way around you know whatever the, the top number is when they come into that ship uh, at the top of the lift should have been at the very bottom of the lift and as they went up the numbers would be going down but anyway uh they get to a room where they can send out a distress signal you know enterprise has been taken over if anybody can hear this please help us sort of a thing and of course they get a reply almost straight away yes this is starfleet command we've got your distress call we're going to send a ship out to help you but this reply they've got apparently got from Starfleet is actually from the Klingon ship that attacked them earlier. So it's following them towards the Great Barrier. Uh, Cybok comes in and uh, catches them in the act. Um, you know, Cybok, for the villain in this movie, he's not actually a really, really bad guy. And you know, he left Vulcan because he had these beliefs that went against the his teachings of his people but uh very very intelligent and he's only the only reason he's doing any of this is because he he fully believes in what he thinks so he's running this entire cult sort of thing but his heart is basically in the right place and you know, he thinks he's chasing down god in this movie and everybody else comes under the control of his cult are thinking the same thing we're going to see your god here and you know that's the that's the power of a cult you know, that's why they're so flippin' dangerous. But, uh... He tries the the mind trick on them, you know. He, he kind of uses the... 
the Vulcan mind meld and uses this power of like, you know, each man holds a secret pain, share your pain with me and gain strength from the sh the sharing. And he goes for McCoy first. And there's a scene where we discover this deep seated pain that McCoy has and it's actually it's, you see it visually on screen here. Everybody else at up to this point has just knew if they come across um and he does his uh Vulcan thing, you know, show me your pain and whatnot. Uh they pretty much either just break down or go under his control straight away. But with McCoy we actually get to see and McCoy plays it out again. You know, the the room darkens down where they're standing at and you know, show me your pain. And McCoy's resisting it at the start and then the room lights up, you know, brightens up behind him and you see this old man lying in a bed and through the window in the background you can see a city background and McCoy realises straight away what's going on and he's like oh my god don't do this to me so he actually goes across to the bedside of this old guy and for the remainder of this scene he is pretty much playing out his own past and it turns out that it's his father that's on his deathbed. There's uh, something wrong with him. And he's in pain. McCoy's a doctor. There's nothing they can medically do to help him anymore. And his father's, you know, begging him to, you know, help me end the pain. I can't stand the pain. You know, release me, sort of a thing. Please release me. Let me go. Okay, let's, okay, we've just broken the entire you know, drama, that whole sequence of me doing that. I'm an asshole. <laughs> but we play it out anyway, and every once in a while, McCoy will break out of the, the replay scenario, let's just say. And he's like, you know, from all my medical knowledge, there's nothing I can do to help him. And uh, every once in a while, the sidewalk will step in, and he'll, you know, push him towards whatever he has to do, you know, he reminds him that he's a doctor, what would you do, sort of a deal, and eventually, McCoy turns off the, the life support system, on his father, and his father drifts off, passes away, and, uh, Cybok comes in, and he's like, that wasn't the worst of it, and, McCoy, freaks out, and he's like, a couple of weeks later, they discovered a damn cure, you know, I killed my father for no reason, essentially. And, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing to see, just the way that someone like that, and you don't need superhuman science fiction powers to really screw someone's head over. If you get them in the right headspace, you know, if a cult member comes across someone that's battling some sort of deep-seated pain from their past. It's it's not hard for a cult to twist your thinking into their line of thinking. Uh, scary, scary stuff. But uh, yes, uh, after McCoy, it happens McCoy and Kirk tries to speak to McCoy. McCoy doesn't answer. And... Uh, as far as Kirk's concerned, you know, seeing my friends dropping like flies here. And uh, he tries Spock next. And Kirk's trying to tell Spock, you know, don't do it. And Spock's like, you know, I've got nothing to worry about. And basically, the pain we see with Spock is, and it's no real shock. We know enough about Spock to know what his pain is up to this point. So it's just a matter of visually showing it on screen. I think more for the, the newbies coming into the franchise. Like if you if you knew the series and the movies up to this point, you'd be fully versed in Spock's relationship with his father. We get to see basically Spock's birth and when he's born, the midwife hands the baby Spock to his father, and his father looks at him. The baby's crying, and he's like, "Hmm, so human," and. You know, that's the, the deep-seated pain for Spock as, again, as human side and him growing up in Vulcan 
and not been the Vulcan that his father hoped he would be, because he was half human. Nothing. It's not a. It's not his fault, but it is what it is. And uh, then, Spurky, Spurk. <laughs> I was going to say Kirk, but I tried to say Spock at the same time. So Spurk. <laughs> oh my good God! Cybok uh, then tries to go for Kirk, and we see has pain, well, to see has pain, but Kirk flat out refuses, and he's like, I'm not going to fall for this crazy person's ramblings, and you know, I need my pain, you know, pain, the pain of our past creates our future sort of a thing, you know, I need my pain to survive, and whatnot, I wouldn't be who I am today without my pain, you know, I want my pain, I don't want to get rid of it, that's, you know, it's a source of strength for Kirk, um, but anyway, uh, they get the the call over the intercom that they're appro approaching the Great Barrier, and uh, Cybok goes to leave, and he tells you know he's as far as he's concerned, like Spock and McCoy are now under his control, and he's like, "Come on, let's go now," and uh, Spock again re refuses to go with Cybok, and he's like, "You know." I'm no longer the outcast child that you left in Vulcan. I found myself in the universe and uh, I'm not going to go with you. Uh, McCoy was going to follow him out. But hearing this, McCoy is like, well, I guess you better count me out too. So, uh, yes, a cyborg leaves uh, the three of them in the room where they were locked up. And uh, heads back to the bridge. Uh, we get to the Great Barrier and the Enterprise. Pretty much gets on there with a lot of ease, really. And uh, we see outside the ship, there's this planet. And everybody's looking out and each different race is calling it whatever it means to them and their culture. You know, the human, he's like Eden. And, you know, the Klingons are like, you know, Shakari And they... The, the rest of the alien races are, you know, call out the name of whatever place they believe that uh, is heaven, essentially. Um, so the Enterprise gets there. In the background, and if you're not paying attention, this is a very drawn-out sort of scene where it's kind of like bigging it up. And there's all the, there's this great score with, uh, you, know, um, you know, everybody's standing looking off the the Enterprise through the view screens or out windows and whatnot and like there's this score that's you know big uplifting sort of a tempo that you know this is amazing sort of thing that they've, they've actually they've made it to the final frontier basically and uh, in the background on the bridge and one of the monitors and the, the camera does pan onto it and the score changes just ever so slightly you see the tactical readout and of course, you see the, the Klingon Board of Prey popping up on the screen. So they are still coming after Enterprise. Uh, when they get Enterprise to Shakari, the planet, Kirk and McCoy and Spock are brought to the bridge. And uh, Cybok hands over complete control of the Enterprise back to Kirk. He says, your ship. And uh, Kirk's like, no conditions. And uh, Cybok is like, no, because, you know, I hijacked Enterprise to get us here. And now that we're here, the ship is yours again. And Kirk is like, well, you know, I could easily turn us around and take us home. And Cybok is, you know, you're not going to do that because you also need to know what's down there. So off they go. Kirk, full control of this crew and whatnot again and he, he he says to Spock and McCoy and Cybok, right, take a shuttlecraft to the surface. Uh the the transporter beam has been messed up the whole way through the movie. That's why we're always using shuttlecrafts in this film. Which is a lot of the source of the comedy from Scotty and this the Enterprise is actually falling apart in this movie after our, our test flight. 
after Star Trek 4. Let's see what she's got, Scotty. And then we did, Captain. <laughs> so off they go. They get to the surface. And uh, eventually they come across this place where you know, rocks come up out of the ground. And this giant face appears in front of them. And it's uh, pretty much, you know, Cyborg is like, you know... I'm here. I followed your call, and you know I brought a starship and whatnot. And uh, this thing shows this face, like you know, I've got one voice, but hundreds and thousands of faces. And this one here might be more to your liking, sort of thing. What you're thinking about? So that's what the what the face of God would look like for humans, which is strangely like Santa Claus. <laughs> so uh, Cyborg, basically has met his maker at this point in the movie and uh, that is whenever the twist comes for Sidebuck it is very very poetic um, and I could get into this in a lot of personal detail here but I'm not going to do that I'm just going to go with the movie here at this point um, because I know there's a few people that I've met in the past that are at some point that you know they've got their belief in God and whatnot and at some point we're all doesn't matter whether you believe in God or not when you die you're gonna to have to answer you know and a lot of the guys that I've came across in the past are, are gonna have a similar conversation to what Cyborg has and his final moments in this movie. But uh this thing, this God this entity, let's just say, it's like, uh, you came here in a starship and Cybox like, we did, we did. We got through the Great Barrier using the, the starship and this entity is like, you know, could this starship contain my, my wisdom and carry it out of the Great Barrier and into the universe? And Cybox is like, yes, yes, it could. And at this point, I'm just thinking there's a line popped into my head from McCoy, which is absolutely brilliant. Uh, Kirk pipes up and he's like, excuse me, can I ask a question? You know, what does God need with a starship? And uh, this entity isn't amused at Kirk, you know, asking why, the, why do you need a starship? And he's like, uh, who is this? insolent creature sort of a thing and again Kirk is like don't you know aren't you God sort of thing like he's questioning that flat out and uh, McCoy steps in and tries to pull Kirk back and he's like my god man you do not ask the almighty for his ID <laughs> I absolutely love that line but uh, this entity shoots an energy bolt out of its eyes smites Kirk to the ground and uh, Cyborg is like, you know, what are you doing? And the sound that he's like, you know, he's doubted me. And Spock backs Kirk up at this point. He didn't answer his question, you know, what the hell do you need with a starship? Well, Spock doesn't say what the hell you need with a starship. Unless it's Star Trek 4 whenever he's doing the whole, you know, I'm in the past and we have to swear in the past. But he's like, you know, you didn't answer his question. You know, what does God need with a starship? And energy bolt again smites him to the ground. And the entity says to McCoy, you know, do you doubt me as well? And McCoy's like, you know, I doubt any God that would inflict pain and suffering on people that, you know, uh, Cyborg is trying to, like, you know, please stop hurting my friends. Sort of a, a deal. And uh, at this point, this is where the entity actually shows what it is. It's uh, it changes its face again. It's like millions of faces, but you know, this is the face that you could really uh, most identify with. And it doesn't just show a face now; it shows an actual full figure of a man. And a cyborg looks on. He sees himself walking out of the light towards himself. And it's like, you know, he is basically, whatever this entity is, the film never actually tells you exactly what this thing is, where it came from, or anything really. It's just this 
alien entity that, you know, messed with Cybok's head to get a starship through the barrier so it could escape. What the only thing I'm led to believe is this great barrier exists to keep this thing trapped on this planet. And now it has a chance to escape. So what I'm thinking is this power that Cybok had was actually something from this creature that got out and actually found a woolen host in Cybok to do its bidding to get a ship there. And the way Cybok used the power and built up the cult and whatnot and was this enigmatic leader, uh, you know, he finally comes face to face with the his own arrogance, essentially, and you know, this is all my fault. It's my pride and arrogance that brought us here. And he does say something to get the Spock. And he does the the Vulcan sign and uh forgive me brother and then he goes back towards the entity and he's like, I see your pain. Would you like to share it with me? And he goes on and starts wrestling with this thing. Kirk uh, calls up Enterprise on the communicator and he's like, send a photon torpedo down onto our coordinates right now. We need to kill this thing before it gets out of here. And uh, they run for it. The photon comes down, blasts this thing to pieces. But you do still hear the moans and screams of this thing in the atmosphere. And uh, they get back to the shuttlecraft. Nothing's working on it. They can't get away. Thankfully, Scotty has fixed the transport at this stage, but he's like, you know, it can't be me all at once. I can maybe take two of you. And Kirk tells him to beam up Spock and McCoy. Off they go, disappear. Spock is left on his own. And, uh, which is interesting at this point of the movie, because we found out at the beginning of the film when he fell off a mountain, McCoy was like, you know, you should have died when you fell off that damn mountain and Kirk's like, you know, even as I fell and you wouldn't die because, you know, both you and Spock were with me. And uh he said, I I've always known that I will die alone which is which is even more poetic whenever you finally do get to see what Kirk's eventual demise will be in the Star Trek universe. Uh that's jumping way ahead to Star Trek Generations. Well, it's not way ahead. It's you know it's only two movies worth from this point. But uh you know, in the timeline of Star Trek. It's a heck of a long way away. You know, seven seasons worth of the next generation before you get there. But anyway, um he's on this planet on his own. This entity is somewhere. He's climbing a mountain again trying to escape. Uh he gets to the top of this mountain, this thing appears shooting energy bolts at him, trying to kill him. And then this bird of prey comes up above the, the mountain, so he's standing face to face with a Klingon bird of prey. This entity's behind him. And uh, the bird of prey takes it out, destroys it. And he gets beamed aboard it. So it turns out the Klingon ambassador that was on Nimbus Free, uh, he was like a disgraced Klingon warrior. And... Uh, when the Klingons turned up the attack Enterprise for the second time, Spock, back on board Enterprise, got him to talk to the commanding officer of the Border Prey, and they ended up working together. And the old Klingon actually gets the the captain of the Klingon ship to apologise to Kirk because the the attack on Enterprise wasn't uh, cleared by his government. So we're all fine and well happy at the end, everybody's saved, they're back on Enterprise, and the Klingon warship, the Bird of Prey, and the Enterprise leave Shakari together, and at the end of the movie, come up to the end of the movie, Spock and McCoy, they're standing on the, the Enterprise, and they're looking out into space, and they're, you know, having a little thought to themselves, you know, is, is God really out there, sort of a deal, and uh, Kirk's like, you know, Maybe he's not out there, Bones. Maybe he's in here. The human heart. And we kind of cut from that. And we're back to Earth. They're out camping again. Scott, or Scotty. Kirk, McCoy and Spock. 
spark is plucking away in his, his little lute, as you call it. I'm trying to remember that name for the little musical instrument. Let me just look that up as well. Sparks musical instrument. It is called the Vulcan Lute. I was right. Uh, again, full of useless information. But a lot of this useless, useless information is stuff that I kind of need to confirm from time to time. Uh, if you asked me something incredibly serious, you know, life and death, you know, couldn't answer it. You know, the simplest little math problem. No idea. English. Grammar. You ask me how to do something, spell something, probably get it wrong. Maths, 100% will get it wrong. When it comes to useless information, like what is Bach's little musical instrument called? It's called a Vulcan lute. But uh, again, I had to look that up. But that information was locked in the back of my mind and there's no need for it to be there. Apart from making podcasts and stuff, so I love it. Uh, he's plucking away at this thing. At the end of the movie, Kirk's done, he's drinking coffee and he's like, are you going to play something in that thing? Are you just going to pluck at it? And uh, Spock starts to play, row, row, row your boat. So, uh, of course, they sit down, all three of them, they, they break out on the song at the end of the movie. Row, row, row your boat. This movie, for me, absolutely loved it. Um... Again, it's not the the strongest one. Pretty much anybody will tell you that uh, it is. It's not considered the strongest out of the Star Trek movies that you know star the original cast. It's definitely nowhere near the levels of, you know, the Wrath of Khan or the Search for Spock. But for me, you know. The next movie we're going to be doing, of course, Star Trek Six: The Undiscovered Country. Um, I enjoy that movie, but I don't find it really rewatchable. You know, I can watch that movie maybe once every five or six years. If The Undiscovered Country is on, I'll I'll watch it, or if it's on TV, I'll give it a go. A very odd time, I'll. Give it a bit of a stream, but you know it's it's not one that I tend to. If, you know, if I think I'm going to sit down and watch a Star Trek movie, you know, the Undiscovered Country, it's not one I'll automatically go for. But Star Trek Five: The Final Frontier, you know, I I could gladly watch this film backwards and forwards. I just I think. I think me and William Shatner are very much in similar sort of minds. A mindset, you know, it's just it's it was very much his story, and uh, but uh, you know, there was problems with uh, some of the crew objected to the script. Uh, series creator Gene Roddenberry disliked the original script. Uh, Nimoy and Kelly objected to the premise that their characters Spock and McCoy would betray Shatner's James T. Kirk. So the script went through multiple versions to please the cast and Paramount Pictures. Uh, included cuts in the effects laden climax to the film. That is, again, I did say it earlier on in the podcast, you do see a, a visual difference between this film and stuff that came before it. And there is a few shots of the Enterprise that are actually reworked on from previous films. So, uh... Excuse me, just looking up some last information before we go any further. Uh, despite a Writers Guild strike cutting into the film's pre-production, Paramount, com- Paramount commenced filming in October 1988. Uh, many Star Trek veterans assisted in the film's production. Art director Nilo Rodas developed the designs for many of the film's locales, shots and characters. Herman Zimmerman served as its production designer. Production problems plagued the film on set during location shooting in Yosemite National Park. That place looks awesome. I want to go there someday. There you go. Uh-huh. If you're part of the 
if you're not subscribed to here's rotter's vlogs get your ass over there on the youtube subscribe to here's rotter's vlogs now because we've just got a new destination for travel vlogs if and when i can get there uh effects uh, effects house industrial light and magic's best crews were busy and would be too expensive the production used Ben Furman's company for the phone's effects and again you can see that Industrial Light and Magic weren't involved in this movie. It's not to say that the effects were terrible on it but they, they're definitely not as polished as they would have been. Uh, phone's effects which had to be revised several times in order to lower the production costs. The phone's end was reworked because of poor test audience reaction and the failure of planned special effects so uh you know there is a bit of a disjointed ending there where they're on the, the enterprise and they're talking about you know it's god out there you no know, maybe he's here in the human heart then it just cuts directly from there to them back at the camping scene at the end jerry goldsmith composer for star trek the motion picture returned to score the final frontier it was released june 9th 1989 and it had the highest grossing the opening gross of any Star Trek movie at that point. I do remember that whenever it came out. Like as I say, I wasn't that old at the time, but I do remember people going crazy in the, the opening weekend about you know this is the potentially going to be the best Star Trek movie ever made according to this first week's you know this opening weekend's uh, ticket sales. But uh, that was its first week. Uh, the the grosses quickly dropped, and subsequent weeks the film received. Generally mixed to poor reviews by critics on release, and according to its producer, nearly killed the franchise. Uh, the next entry, the Undiscovered Hundred, received received a much more positive reception. Again, it's, this is entertainment, guys. It's subjective to the viewer. You know, one person could absolutely love it, and the person next to them could absolutely hate it. It all depends on your tastes your mindset, where you're at at that time. And again, for me, uh, having fallen for a group with like cult-like behaviour in the past, this film for me right now has got a new, a new level when I watched it. I was just like, hmm, I've been on the receiving end of something similar to this. So and it seems that it's, comes across as more of a deep film for me right now but again let's say i think me and william shatner are very very similar in mindsets uh you know like i absolutely adore this movie i always have like when i remember having this on uh, the first time it was actually aired on television i recorded that on the vhs and i'm pretty damn sure if i if I looked hard enough in this house now, even after all these years, you're talking like 30 years later, probably sure, that movie is probably still in VHS somewhere in this house. Because whenever I got married and moved out, I took none of that stuff with me. And this is actually the parents' house. Before they passed, this was their house. So I'm pretty sure there's some. There's a lot of stuff that was here from whenever I moved out till I moved back again. Um absolutely loved it the budget for the movie was 33 million and the box office came out at a 33 million dollar payday so uh yeah as far as the the figures and that goes for the movie it's you know it was a sketchy one for the 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 franchise in general but uh for me absolutely loved it you know uh for me it's really the best movie would be the wrath of can followed up by the search for spock and i think for me personally i think star trek five the final frontier i think that comes in in the third place for me and the movies uh probably very close between that and the voyage home really but i do i really do enjoy this movie for that opening sequence where they're out camping and uh kirk's climbing that mountain in yosemite um it's just a, for me it's it was the 
the characters interacting with each other and that whole sort of family situation you know there's there's a whole part on it where you know they're they're talking about why they're on their camping trip you know they're kind of thinking you know other people have got families to go to and uh, when relief comes around the three of us hanging out together and Kirk's like you know other people have got families not people like us and then by the end of the movie they've got this moment where you know Spock is sad because he's lost a brother and uh, Kirk says I lost a brother once I'm lucky I got him back you know not referring to a, a blood brother but he's referring to the fact that Spock had died in Star Trek 2 and we got him back in Star Trek 3 and uh, you know the family they have as the three of them and the crew on the Enterprise so I absolutely love the movie for that alone um, I would highly recommend you checking this one out um, if you're new to Star Trek uh, maybe not the first one to go with like definitely Star Trek 2 is the best you know the Wrath of Khan is definitely the the best movie as far as an outside audience goes you know someone that's not a fan of the franchise can sit down and watch that film and have a fantastic time with it but I think with this one this is very very much in the vein of the series this movie so if you're not a Trekkie you mightn't like this one so much but it's very very good Anyway guys, I am going to go now because I'm using batteries on my recorder and it's going to pass out at any moment now. So I hope you have a fantastic week and hopefully I'll talk to you very, very soon here on Scheme Me Up Body. This has been a production of Coins Edge Media. Check out my social media links in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening.